in the world of work, like when I had a career before, everyone can always have that imposter syndrome. I can't possibly do that. It's not for the likes of me. I can't go into the room and do that. Well, then I'd just like to say everyone can do it. Because if you've served your country, if you've worked as a team, as you've had to learn new skills, if you've had to think, actually, we've got to do this because it's going to make X, Y impact, then they're the skills that you need as a local councillor. My name is Johnny Ball, and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains, and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. This podcast has been sponsored by Salesforce, the world's number one CRM, enabling companies of every size and industry to digitally transform and connect with their customers in a whole new way through a single view of customer data and real-time insights that create personalized experiences and drive cost savings. Salesforce is proud to be a gold member of the Employer Recognition Scheme of the Armed Forces Covenant and is dedicated to its support to the military community. Internally, they run an initiative called VetForce, which is an internal employee alliance, and it actively champions an inclusive environment for veterans and military families through education, philanthropy, and currently has close to 5,000 members globally. There's also an external program called Salesforce Military, which provides free enablement and recognised qualifications in the Salesforce ecosystem that can lead to employment in the industry post-service. This offer is open to serving personnel and their partners, as well as veterans. It's so good to be here in Parliament with Rachel Hopkins, uh, who is the Shadow Minister for Veterans and Defence People, and we actually met at party conference and what a conference, Rachel. It was so good to be in that room with you, a load of Labour veterans from the Labour Friends of the Forces and your colleagues as well. How was conference for you anyway? It was really good. And I loved that Labour Friends of the Forces um, event where we, met, where we met for the first time. Really good vibe, really good buzz. And I also think conference is really businesslike. Like we, we, we really have got... Um, you know, not necessarily our act together, but we've got our minds focused on what we are about, what we're going to offer the country, and that we really are a government in waiting. Yeah, I, I, well, I certainly felt it's my third Labour conference. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, I felt, and this will probably surprise men, it might even surprise you, actually, because, yeah. you know, I used to work for the Blue Team. I mm-hmm. worked for a Conservative Party chairman. That's no secret. Just go on LinkedIn or stalk me. Um, but actually, I felt I was in the right room with those Labour friends of the armed forces. And this is based on values, not ideology, because um, I'm sure um, if we were to have a big ideological chat, we'd, we'd probably have a few differences. <laughs> but in terms of values, those armed forces values, I was in the right room. And the same can be said when I go you know, to the Conservative or the Labour um, Friends of the Armed Forces too. It's all about those values. But before we get into all of that, I'd be really interested to kind of, I guess, explore your own values mm. and, and about the place that you started, perhaps a little bit you know, about how you came to politics, how you, you know, growing up yep. and what motivated you to do this extraordinary job as a member of parliament and decide to stand yes. yourself. What's that all about? Well, I mean, 
I'm a born and bred Lutonian, and it is an absolute privilege to be Member of Parliament for Luton South. How I came about, I mean, I was born into a Labour family, you know, I'm third generation Labour, it's, it's in the blood. But equally, um, our values were about sticking up for those people who need people to stick up for them. That's where I start from. I still live in my hometown. I've lived there all my life. Um, and people who hold power make decisions. And those decisions affect people in my town, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But if you're only going to affect change and make sure it's sort of the best you can get by moving into those positions of power and serving your community. So I actually started off as a local councillor. Uh, I was elected to Luton Council 2011. So I was a councillor for 10 years. Um, and that was about giving back to my community, um, trying to shape uh, what went on, support services, make positive decisions where we could. Now, I'll say this as a Labour politician, we had we're still in 12 years of austerity. So sometimes it was trying to make the least worst decision given the circumstances we're in, but always focusing on our Luton community. Um, then in 2019, things happened. The, the, the incumbent MP decided to change party uh, and then a, a general election was called. So I stuck my hat in the ring and it was a real like I said, privileged to be selected as the candidate for Labour and then get elected in that very wet and cold December 2019 election. But it's been um, an absolute privilege ever since and I, I pinch myself every day that I've got that that brilliant job representing my hometown. I was going to say, that's so special, being mm. MP for your hometown. Because mm. I, I mean, I'm sure someone, someone somewhere has done the stats and run the numbers about how many MPs represent their actual hometown. Yeah. That's pretty extraordinary. I mean, what, what's the, what was the reaction like? I guess they had a bit of a... Uh, it wasn't a surprise when you became an MP because they'd seen you as the local politician and I'm a huge evangelist for local government and I think it's unfair to say when people overlook it as well as some people do and just want look at parliament but local government where they can have such huge impact on their community and I've worked in local government um, as well just over the road in Northampton um, but I mean what was it like for your friends and family to see you you know the girl from Luton all of a sudden becoming the MP in Luton as well? Um, I think, so in some respects, you know, even though we talked to some of my school friends, I was always like the one who'd stand up for, you know, will you ask the teacher about blah, blah, blah? You know, I was on Sixth Form College Council, I was chair of the College Council, um, and I'd always like get involved in politics and organising. Like, you know, I was the campaign coordinator for our Labour group, I always made sure stuff happened. Um, so for some people, I think they recognise that that was like a bit of a natural trajectory. Not saying I started at 15 and said, one day I'm going to be Prime Minister. That wasn't the thing. It was an, ev an evolution way forward. But like I say, I come from a Labour family. Um, I had some really good role models in my family and I, I channeled that. And I, I like to say that if I'm half as good as my dad, who was also an MP, then I'll be doing all right. Well, there you go. Is that, that family influence runs strong in yours. Um, but... So the politics one's yeah, a reasonably obvious one, given that family background as well. But the Veterans Brief, mm. this podcast is all about exploring the yeah. values of veterans in our public life. And we've had some great guests on this show. Indeed, I've interviewed some of your predecessors. So um, yeah, Sharon Hodgson was one of my very first yeah. guests as well. So And it was great to bump into her at conference as, um, in only a few weeks ago. But the Veterans Brief, what really drew you to that? What's, in, what's the interesting parts of it? Because um, I'm really curious, our listeners would definitely be curious to know because a lot of our listeners are veterans. Yeah. So what's that all about? Well, it's an interesting one because 
people often ask me, you know, do you have any armed forces experience yourself? And I was kind of like, no, not really. But I, when I think through and go, actually, my great-grandfather died in the First World War. I visited his grave over in France. Um, and, I, you know, I've done the sort of visits to uh, Commonwealth war graves over in France and Belgium, I ha- you know, that sort of interest. And then I think, well, actually, both my grandfathers did a little bit of service uh, in the Second World War. Um, you know, they weren't in the forces, but so many people were called up, so to speak. Yeah, you had the Bevan boys and things yeah, as well on the home, on the home front. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. So there was, a, there was that bit of understanding there. But sort of where the, that sense of values and public service comes from is that my career, before I was an MP, I worked in the wider civil service. I worked in public services. And that's all about serving people, serving your country. And for me, I genuinely, if you serve in the armed forces, that's the ultimate public service for me. So it wasn't a difficult step in, so to speak. You know, my, my, I did lots of things that I helped would make our society a better place to be. My life wasn't at risk, however. Do you know what I mean? And I just see that as that extension of that when people are serving in the armed forces. Obviously, I'd served as first as the Parliamentary Private Secretary, uh, PPS, in the defence team for John. Um, and... I was pleased when he asked me to come back to serve on his team because it's such an interesting brief. Um, and there's so much about people. People are fascinating. Um, all my local government um, experience and all my um, service I did there was all about making sure people could live as decent life as possible. And when we think about our veterans or our ex-services, ex-service personnel, they've given something to our country. So it's now absolutely right that we try and make sure that they can have as good a life as possible and that for me is is something i'm really you know passionate about and people have used the word passionate but it absolutely is so important um because up and down the country i've been out a whole bunch of visits already i was like i've got to get out there i want to go meet people have you? Yeah. yeah so i've been up so even in liverpool uh the lord mayor of liverpool uh, ex-service personnel, veteran, um, invited me to come and visit him in his town hall, which is absolutely lovely and glamorous. And he invited some veterans charities. Um, And we had a really interesting afternoon talking about the work they do, um, whether it's around supporting housing, supporting mental health or addiction issues, but particularly focused on veterans who are struggling, often with trauma um, involved there. And so... That was up in Liverpool. I've been up to Sunderland with Sharon, Sharon Ah. Hodson, um, visited uh, Veterans in Crisis. um, And I was down at another housing uh, charity down at Stoll. Um, yeah, and Hague yeah, housing down in Morden, stole down in Aldershot the other week as well. So I've tried to get out and about to really get that feel for what matters um, and to really you know meet veterans because you don't, you know in local government you don't do to people you do with. Um, that's the thing I think with veterans. It's yeah. really important that veterans help shape what we can um, support them with and what, what it is that they're, they're expecting and, and looking for. Well, they have you know in post-war Britain that generation you spoke about at the beginning mm. um, and your family connection literally helped reshape Britain after yeah, World War Two, rebuilt it uh, and now there's this generation of veterans that look like me you know Afghan Iraq veterans uh, Northern Ireland veterans yeah. Bosnia veterans that are in their 30s 40s and 50s that are a younger generation yeah. and and perhaps what we have to rebuild in Britain is slightly different it might be a bit more um, values based yeah uh, but you'll have them in your own constituency I bet yeah. people have been delighted the veterans in your community in your constituency yeah. to hear that you've had that brief and you mentioned john 
Um, really good team at the moment in shadow defence team. Yeah, really good bunch. Obviously, Luke is just Mr. Energy. I always enjoy um, working with Luke. Chris, we, I've got Welsh blood in my family, so Chris Evans, I'm channeling my inner Welsh and working John. It's really, it's a really good, um, confident, positive, professional team, and I'm really chuffed to be part of it. So it, that's really good. So, um, yeah, really enjoying it. We've got Paula Barker with us as PPS. Me and Paula, both 2019 intake of MPs, good pals. Um, so we're really trying to build our presence and, and, and what we're offering, uh, both out in the country, but also with our Labour members as well, um, to make sure that we really are strong on all fronts. At grassroots level, absolutely, with our armed forces champions in local government, for example. Yeah, really, really important, really important there, as much as the big ticket stuff that John's doing, you know, who's in Washington last week. Well, that's it. From the, the macro to the micro, the local government champion mm-hmm. stuff, where, and you'll know, local government, right? It's where the action is. It is. It is. <laughs> no, no jokes, because you can sometimes make small decisions that have huge impacts on people's lives as a local councillor, sometimes more so than an MP in opposition, so to speak. Sorry. Do you know what I mean? Um, but you have to have that connection, because I know, the you know, my... my Friends and uh, comrades in the Labour Party in Luton, they, they know I love getting out in the doors, talking to people, door knocking, finding out what's going on. If we can solve a bit of a problem um, with local councillors at, at level, at grassroots level, but then there's stuff that I know that's happening. So I've got a real understanding of what's on people's minds when we come up to Parliament. That's how we try and shape things, whether it's those little tweaks that we can do in opposition or ultimately what, what our offer will be yeah. when we're ready for government. And the um, the, the um, Armed Forces Champions you speak of in local yeah. government, a great conduit into the issues in local government. And uh, if you haven't, I would implore anyone to go out there and get in contact with their local government um, representative and also the Veterans Advisory and Pension Committees, the VAPCs across the ground, you know, working out there in communities, great link up between uh, Westminster and communities around veterans issues. And um, I mean, around that term veteran, okay, some, I mean, you've said ex-services, ex-forces, veteran, I interchange it all the time. Mm. Um, I think I'm getting more and more comfortable with the term veteran. I sometimes describe myself as a veteran, even though, because I actually served before and have had, I've got two different service numbers because I left and Um, then I rejoined, Um, but I'm still in the reserves, but I still interchange it. Sometimes I'm a reservist, sometimes I'm a veteran, bit of an identity crisis going on there. But I mean, do you think that that word veteran, are we comfortable with that as a society? Is that the best we've got? I I don't know. I hear what you say, basically, because um, I didn't think about it until, I, until it crossed my mind, so to speak, that in Luton Council, Robin Porter, Chief Executive of the Council, technically he's a veteran, but he had, I think, about 10 years in the forces, in the army, but I see him now as the Chief Executive of local council. So, But he, he's proud of his service and being ex-forces. So I think so much of it has to come from how you feel mm. as a veteran as a, an ex-service person about how you want to describe yourself. Oh. But I think we need something that's a shorthand that the vast majority of people might understand. And if we need to evolve that, because veterans aren't the chaps from the Second World War, where well, they are, but there's not so many of them yeah. left now. You, do, do you know what I mean? Who are still alive. Um, so I think there's something in about creating that narrative that works for people. But some people might just say, yes, I'm a veteran. Others might say, you know, I served... I think I think that's for us to have those conversations about what people want to refer to themselves as, really. 
Yeah, I think my generation are far more comfortable with the term veteran. Mm. Um, I am not. I'm a spokesman for the veterans community. I've had a little, <laughs> little bit of influence on this podcast, and I called it veterans in politics because. Uh, and but of course, I do look at reservists in politics, mm. spouses in politics, yeah, uh, as well. But I think that whole armed forces community family. There are many labels, but there's that commonality around the values that kind of be trump any um term that we might use but i'm i'm pretty content with the term veteran and i'll probably use it and i'll probably describe myself depending on talking to and yeah i was talking to someone at british forces broadcasting um and she is a veteran she is a spouse because her husband's still serving yeah Uh, i think she's also a reservist as well so many hats depending on that conversation Uh, but i'm pretty comfortable with it um anyway but on that there was the I probably might link into the local government, what we were just talking about there, about how are we going to make the UK the best place to be a veteran? And that was a previous statement. Um, Johnny Mercer, previous veterans minister, um, was the, the kind of champion of that yeah. phrase. It's something I really like because I like a big vision. I like that ambition. Yeah. Um, but it's all very, very well and good saying it in central government, but it's in communities, in local government, where it's going to be delivered. So how on earth are we going to aspire to be the best place in the world to be a veteran yeah i i think you've caught half of what i would sort of say because it is about if we think of the armed forces covenant it links at the moment to those key parts of a local government service whether it's your or nhs service about your health your housing your education for armed forces personnel veterans their families so actually if we're failing on housing in this country we're failing veterans on housing yeah. that's the way i sort of see it and i've seen particularly housing in places like luton we've got a high demand not enough uh, affordable housing for people not enough good quality private sector rentals will that be affecting veterans as well you know we we help people i've got a great team who support me being an mp my caseworker is forever you know writing to the council about housing issues even you know because it's so difficult so i think part of it is actually really um, a government being prepared to up its game when it comes to those things it's not just about making sure veterans have you know that that recognition and that um you know um specific support but actually, it's about raising the standard for everyone. And then actually, if you can access decent mental health services in your community, it means veterans can access decent mental health services in their community. The fact that we have so many charities stepping in to support mental health, I think is just pretty terrible, really. I think they do fantastic work. I don't want to detract from that. But that's they're stepping in where good public services aren't able to meet the demand that's there. So I think you know, the good offer we're getting across the piece around health services, the thoughts around housing and how we can um, bring that market forward. I mean, at the moment, the economy is having a wobble because of what's going on. It could be different next week. But that for me is about those basic things in life that veterans can expect and they absolutely deserve. They've served our country. That You've served our country, made us feel safe because of that. And if we can't get those basics right, let alone if we move it across the Armed Forces Covenant into the wider services of, of uh, national government, then, you know, that's, that's the focus for me. It's about some of those core things that absolutely people should have an absolute entitlement to, but particularly if they've served us, you know. That's a good point, actually, about the basic getting the basics right because they're not mutually exclusive and sometimes so i've been a beneficiary of op courage through Mm, the nhs which is specific mental health support that was supplied by a charity walking with the wounded so government nhs and a charity third sector working together and for me it was Mm life-changing um and i did at one point think was great for me but what about my neighbors 
who are civilians, would they have had the same level of mental health support? We've heard about the backlog of mental health um, referrals just for ordinary citizens. So they're not mutually exclusive. Absolutely, where you have specific needs as a veteran, we should be there in a heartbeat. Um, But I really like that, the way that you framed it around just the basic, getting the basics right in your community. Uh, And you mentioned you went to Stoll. Um, Mm. to visit and and Hague Housing as well and they're amazing organisations I think over a century old um, in terms of the cases of of them both yeah 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 definitely Hague Um, they were really fascinating some of the they're lovely buildings but they were literally from both First World War yeah Um, and then they've grown over time and the history they talked about and even now there's that respect as you talked about earlier about spouses and families Um, and it was really interesting some of the stories that some of their tenants are you know Sadly, they're wid- wid- widows because their, ser- their service, their husband, who was the, f- the veteran, passed away 20, 25, 30 years before they did. But they still have that commitment to that widow. Yeah. And that, for me, is, you know, that's very powerful. No, and they're brilliant. And again, that's an example where you have a specific need that they're able to meet. Mm. Uh, but in terms of wider society, I mean, you've heard of these things where they set up like veterans villages and there's been some great TV programs about it. I have sort of mixed emotions about that, really, mixed thoughts, mm. because I'd like to see our veterans integrate into our communities. Mm. So it goes back to your point about raising the bar of things like housing for everyone, because then veterans will return back to the society that they came from, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. And I've, I've heard both views, like you say, because I've asked that question, um, you know, having not really experienced service, you know, haven't lived on a, a base or anything, what works? And actually, I've heard both, both views. Or that sort of... Actually, if it's a veteran working with me on my mental health or during this period of time where I need some support, they understand, they get it. But actually, that longer piece is I'm back with friends and family, you know, so there's that sort of mixture because there's something I've heard more than once people say, whether it's a, a talking therapy group or something, but if they're veterans, they they, they understand, yeah. you know, and that's something I'm, I'm very, very aware of, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. No, there's some great organisations out there. I'm sure you're going to be meeting a few more. Absolutely. (laughs) I love getting out and about. I'm an extrovert, so it's all about the people. Um, But that's how you understand what people think, and you can really experience it. So I also had some conversations that were really quite difficult um, from veterans who were struggling with their mental well-being, who who were struggling to get that step out of a supported living environment. And that really impacted me because, you know, that comes back to mental health, comes back to trauma as well for some people. Um, So, you know, as much as there's some really positive, strong stories out there, there's some difficult ones as well. And I feel I owe... I owe a duty to those veterans to do what I can. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I give them, all of you did what you could for us. Oh, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're there to be doing that, quite frankly. Um, are there any organisations that or areas that you're sort of yet to meet or would like to reach out to? I want to make sure I do get out to all the regions. I've been to a, a good few now. Um, I think there's some work I'd like to do with, more with families. Oh, it's great to meet uh, Councillor Nadia Martin down in Aldershot. I mean, she's a great champion for the armed forces and as a local Labour councillor herself, particularly around the impact on families um, and when families, uh, service men and women are away from their families, that support network there. So I'd like to do a bit more exploratory work there um, and particularly, um, you know, housing and mental health are two of the things I absolutely picked up on when I was a local councillor so that's just an extension through um but in a particular context so 
Um, I'm going to keep you out there. If anyone's got any ideas, they can always email me and invite me to come visit and I'll do my well, best. I do, actually. I've got an idea. <laughs> and that's the reservist family experience. Yeah. That's often overlooked. So there are 38,000 reservists, I think, in this country. And so, and they don't have a patch or a Maricorta or a garrison right. or a that's ship or an airbase. Yep. So they're very, they're all like scattered all over, and you've got them in your constituency, reservists. Mm. And it's all right for us when we go and do our thing as reservists. I sometimes often think it's quite selfish because we go away, do our thing, have a great time. I mean, only this weekend I was snowboarding with the armed forces para snow sport team for very wound, nice. Wound, yeah, I know it's all right <laughs> for uh, wounded, injured, sick, um, uh, and I'm one of the few that's still serving in that team. But so that's great, right? Great fun. But what about my wife and my little girl mm. uh, and the support that they need when we're away, whether it be on operations? So I think that's definitely one area. And there's an opportunity with our assistant chief of defence staff, um, General Mark Overton, mm-hmm. a lifer reservist. I know he's very keen on the family's experience. So I'd, I'd definitely employ you to look at the fa- the reservist family experience. Yeah. I think that's um, a really good point. And I think about my friend Ollie, who's a reservist. And um, like you say, sometimes his other half is always off again. But there's a really valuable contribution there. And that, particularly with reservists, who then bring skills they've learnt, gained, experiences they've learnt, gained through their service or mm. through their training, when, that come back into that, you know, that sort of porous wall back in, into communities, so to speak. Definitely. So I, I think that's that's a really good uh, good area for me to explore. Good. Well, that's my little bit of lobbying. Lovely. I'm not allowed to lobby. No. I'm a community interest company. It's uh, helpful but, uh, advice. <laughs> Um, so we know what you're doing. You're very active, getting out there, very passionate about the veterans brief and the, and the defence people brief in general. Um, and we mentioned the Labour Friends of the Armed Forces, but mm-hmm. what's the Labour Party doing more widely to engage with the Armed Forces community? Yeah, well, some of the stuff that I knew about as a local councillor, particularly our Armed Forces champions, but also Labour Friends of the Forces, which really is beginning to grow and make a huge impact out and about in our constituency Labour parties. That's our unit's uh, constituency. We did some training at conference. Uh, I was really pleased that people came, both who had sort of connections and experience with the forces, but also those who didn't. And part of that is about having a good conversation around whether it's defence, whether it's the armed forces, whether it's things that matter, understanding the armed forces covenant. And part of that, and that's some of the great work Steph Peacock did as well. She did some great uh, campaign Previous hacks. guest of oh, the show. Yes. Sorry, oh, name yes. drop. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Um, she did some great work, particularly around local, our local parties sort of doing surveys with veterans, for example, to find out what they're yeah. thinking, to show that, A, we're interested, of course we are, but B, what we can then use to shape what we're, we're going to offer. So there's that, you know, small steps at our constituency level that will help feed into our bigger picture. Um, so I'm really pleased to be supporting that. We're going to be doing some more training as well. So sometimes I think some people, if they haven't got any experience of the armed forces, sometimes don't know where to start or think they're going to say the wrong thing. And I kind of remind people, the, the people are people. You know how to have a conversation, you know. Let's make sure that we're confident in having some of these conversations and make sure we're, important, we're really um, good at listening because that's what we are. It's about those values. But how are we going to shape our offer? Let's make sure that we support everyone. We're all about camaraderie and collectivism. Let's make sure that we work together on that. So we're doing a whole bunch of things. Yeah, it's really interesting seeing some of the messaging come through as well. Um, I mean, my mate Andy Newman up in the northeast, mm. one of your councillors. Yeah. Uh, when I interviewed him, um, he was talking about um, 
sort of uh, the patriotic um, yeah. uh, side of the Labour Party, and he's a real champion of that. Yeah. And so all these individuals, these ideas, I was really interested to see how there was a training session for Labour activists mm. from the armed forces community as well. Oh, has that happened before? I, don't, I can't remember it happening before. On that I, level. I, I don't. I don't think I've um, ever been to one. But I think the bit you're saying around uh, people feeling patriotic. Well, for me, I always wait for the Union Jack for the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? And some people saying, oh, the Union Jack. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, when I watch England, or when I watch the, well, England flag, you know. And so I think people just being able to feel more, it's not a territory that we're not allowed to go on or anything. It's like, of course it is, you know. But in a Labour conference, it is really good. And I think the fact that we've got so many people who want to be involved with Labour Friends and Forces as well, um, they won Stand of the Year last year oh, no. at the exhibition. So we were just like, oh, you know, you're there now. Um, and the, the, the events they did were packed both times, both the reception, but also there was another event about standing up to maybe get involved in politics. And I know Dan Jarvis spoke um, as well to sort of say, you know, this is something we can all do. And for me, that bit about people stepping up to serve comes from, you know, we need our politicians to reflect the society we serve and to, respect, to reflect all walks of life. And that, and I have said that in so many different contexts, not just a sort of a veterans armed forces brief as well. Um, so I think there's a lot, a lot going on, and I think we're really building that little, slowly but surely, that momentum towards, um, you know, a really, a really good offer. Yeah, it was my third Labour conference, and when I was kind of invited to the Labour friends of the uh, armed forces reception where we met and had yeah. a chat, um, I definitely felt. You know, I was I was in the right room because it was about those values. Mm. You know, these are my brothers and sisters that I've served with, yeah. um, and that's great from someone that worked for the blue team um, and you know, has that background. And, and that for me gives us an opportunity that human bridge mm. across political divides where the armed forces. So um, I have a board for Campaign Force, my community interest company, and there's a standing seat for all of the friends of organisations, yeah, both yeah. Labour, Lib Dem and Conservatives, and obviously open to the SNP and others too. Um, and that will be a real catalyst for conversations Absolutely. Ac- across that community, across the party divide. So that's really exciting. It's one of the reasons I'd started doing this whole thing in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, the, the one thing that's, that's really stood out, I think it was, it was patriotic, uh, so progressive patriotism, Andy calls it. That was his, that's what he let in, in yeah, the yeah, podcast yeah. conversation we had. And I think from 2012, after the London 2012, Absolutely. how we kind of regained the Union Jack and the Union flag, sorry, yeah. back, back in a really more positive way. Um, and we haven't really looked back since then. No, I agree. That's that's it. You know, and I think, you know, it it's really important to recognise that. And sometimes it's really important to recognise you can be really patriotic without having to wave a Union Jack too. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's where people absolutely, they might not overtly express it, but when it comes to Remembrance Sunday, they'll absolutely do their bit. Yeah. They'll have their moment. They'll buy their poppy. They'll go down to their local town hall. But, you know, may not be that they're explicitly saying stuff and, you know, but it's there. And I, and I think more and more people need to reflect on, on that. And sometimes it's those small contributions which are patriotic as much as, you know, I've got my big yeah. flag out. 100%. You know, it could be a local scout leader um, and working through a youth, a youth group. That is patriotism, Absolutely. isn't it? About the next generation. Yeah. Um, which, you know, gives us a lot of hope. Those are selfless people in our communities. Um, but before I let you go, because I know you're busy, here we are in Parliament. It's great to be able to sit down. Um, but what would be, if there are people listening that might have perhaps been a bit shy about putting themselves forward for, it'd be local government, 
Um, they might have two messages actually mm. one for those thinking about local government and perhaps those thinking about parliament or dare I say even things like police and crime commissioner yeah. um, what would be your words of advice call to action call to arms for anyone thinking about standing up and serving again I, I, I think it's a brilliant thing to do and and I, I, in the world of work, like when I had a career before, everyone can always have that imposter syndrome. I can't possibly do that. It's not for the likes of me. I can't go into the room and do that. Well, then I'd just like to say everyone can do it. Because if you've served your country, if you've worked as a team, as you've had to learn new skills, if you've had to think, actually, we've got to do this because it's going to make X, Y impact, then they're the skills that you need as a local councillor. You know, you work as part of a team, whether it's a red one or a blue one. You know. say, I'm really keen to ex- explore yeah. those skills as you've identified them. Yeah, you know, and it's actually coming to a decision. It's analysing what's in front of you, evidence or applying some rules. I mean, all these things are what service personnel do without thinking. And then actually it's all community focused, you know, particularly local government. This is about how am I going to make this environment better given the, you know, I've got this amount of, these are the resources we've got, these are the rules we've got to do it within, but ultimately we want a positive outcome. If, and, I th- and, you know, local government, I think, is such a great way to learn some skills and get a, get a feel for whether you'd be up for standing at a more senior office, maybe at a national level. Um, but, you know, I, I would absolutely encourage people to have a think about it. And first of all, you talked a lot about values. You know, I often say democracy is the most important thing. And then you can choose which team you want to maybe do it within. But those values of find, find a political party that aligns with your values. You know, I'm going to say things like the Labour Party, obviously. <laughs> but you talk to someone else from a different party who'd equally say, well, our values are about this. But ultimately, we all want to serve our communities, you know. Um, and I think that is that sense of service, which, you know, I think is absolutely through service personnel, like a stick of rocks, that sort of stuff, which will, it, you, you've got, you, you're halfway there even with that. Rachel, thank you so much. It'll be delightful sitting down with you again and uh, no doubt we'll chat again. We will. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you. Salesforce is actively pursuing, through its friends within the MOD and the Veterans Advisory and Pension Committees, to make veteran data obtainable in a compliant way to the Office of Veterans Affairs. This will have a significant impact in understanding the needs of the veteran community nationally, but also act as a conduit to better enable the VAPCs and local government to understand their veteran communities to help those most in need. Salesforce can bring this vision to light, allowing all veterans to stand up and serve again. And we're enormously grateful for their support in helping us produce this podcast.